You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, a couple of you mentioned last week, Pastor, your sermons are getting longer. So I wrote a shorter one this morning and then had time to write a second shorter one. First, the epistle, which is a riddle that St. Paul sets before us, the riddle of the two sons, the riddle of Isaac and Ishmael. It's really fantastic. It is amazing how Paul sees it because he sees all of history in terms of law and gospel. We'll see it. But we want to know that the context in which Paul is writing, Paul had gone to Galatia, he had planted a church there, preached the gospel, and people had believed, Jew and Gentile alike, and they had all come into the church, into the kingdom of God, and they were rejoicing in the truth of the gospel, in the forgiveness of sins, in the salvation won for them by the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. But then as soon as Paul left, in came the false teachers, that they go by the name of the Judaizers, if you remember, They were those who came along and said, no, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You also have to keep the law. It's not enough to trust in Christ. You also have to be circumcised. And Remember the Sabbath. You have to not work on Saturday. And you have to keep kosher laws and all these other things. You have to keep the law of Moses. And they were wrong. But it brings us back to the the basics, to the very first principles of the gospel. And, And we want to remember this. I mean, here's the thing. So that we want to get. If you get anything from today, this is what we want to remember. That there are basically two religious convictions that every one of us has naturally according to the flesh. And they are these. First, that my sin must condemn me. And second, that my works must save me. These are the two fundamental religious truths that are in our nature. They're the foundation in one way or another of every religion in the world. But both of these are what Paul will call the doctrine of the law, and the gospel contradicts both of them. And it contradicts both of them with one truth, that Jesus is the Savior. So, the first, my sins must damn me, but if Jesus is the Savior, then my sins don't damn me. My sins don't condemn me. I have another judge who's not Moses standing there to say how I will spend eternal life. And second, if Jesus is the Savior, then I cannot save myself. My works cannot save me. I cannot, by my own efforts or doing, achieve the righteousness which God requires. It comes only through Jesus. So that these two fundamental religious convictions, that my sin must damn me and my works must save me, both are crushed on the, by, by the stone of the gospel. Both are wrecked by the death of Jesus. And this is the best good news of all. And, and it sets us free. And free from, it, the, the gospel sets us free from sin. It sets us free from the condemnation of sin. It sets us free from trying to save ourselves. It sets us free at last to love and trust God and to love and bless and serve our neighbor. And we rejoice in this. I mean, you know, we, it's why we come to church every Sunday because in one way or another, one of these two false religious claims creeps up in our own mind. And we start to think in despair that my sin is going to damn me. Or we start to think in pride that I'm saving myself. And we come every Sunday to have that purged out of us. To have it preached away. Washed away by the Holy Spirit with the fundamental truth that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is your Savior. Your sins cannot damn you. Jesus saves you. Your works cannot save you. That's the work of Jesus. 
Now in Galatia, these Judaizers had come in and said, no, no, this isn't true that Jesus is just the Savior. You have to do something also. You have to add some works to it. You have to do something to be saved. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law, etc. Now, Paul knows that this then is how it is and how it's always going to be that those who are captivated by the law are always going to come and persecute those who are set free by the gospel. And so he gives us this this riddle of the two sons, or the parable maybe of the two sons. Paul says, do you remember how Abraham had two boys, Ishmael and Isaac? Ishmael was born of the slave woman, Hagar. And this, Ishmael, was Abraham and Sarah's attempt to keep the promises of God and earn God's blessing, really, by their own contrivance. Now, Paul says that was Ishmael, but he had another son, Isaac, who was the child of promise. He was the miracle baby of Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90 years old. So if you're still in your 80s, don't give up, right? And and here they had been unable to have a child their whole life. And here and and God said, "Remember, God, Jesus visited them and said, in a year you're gonna I'm gonna come back and you're gonna have a baby.'" And Sarah laughed. And why are you laughing? I didn't laugh. I heard you laughing. I'll be back in a year. You'll have a baby. And they have a baby, Isaac, which means laughter. That's the child of promise. Now there's two children: the one a slave woman, the one of the free woman, the one by human contrivance and works, and the other the miracle of God's promise. And listen to how Paul picks it up. You can read along with me in the bulletin. and It's starting with, really, verse 22. For it's written in the, in the Galatians 4 text, it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by the free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this is interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She, com- she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, which is where the Judaizers were coming from. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. So, there are two boys, Isaac and Ishmael. There are two mothers. Hagar and Sarah. There are two ways of having the children, of the flesh and of the promise. There are two mountains, Mount Sinai where God gave the law, and Calvary where Christ was crucified. There are two cities, the current Jerusalem where the Judaizers are insisting on law-keeping to be righteous, and the heavenly Jerusalem which is the church where the freedom of the gospel abounds. And and, And Paul sees it all through law and gospel. These two mountains, these two cities, these two families, these two covenants, these two ways of thinking and living and believing and confessing and hoping, these exist always in the world. Those who are under the law and in slavery and those who have the gospel and are set free. Now, Paul is going to make two conclusions. Once you start to see everything in history and in the world through these two lenses, he's going to make these two conclusions. First, We are Christians, which means we live by the gospel, by the promise of the forgiveness of our sins. We are children of the promise, not children of the law, not children of the flesh. We're children of the forgiveness of sins. We're begotten not by flesh and blood, but by the word of God. 
We are the Lord's delight. His gifts. His his adopted family. We are the redeemed. We're the saved by Jesus. Not, Not by our own efforts. Saved by Him. So that we, with Isaac, are children of the promise. That's the first conclusion. He says, you're Isaac, don't go join Ishmael. You're part of the... You're part of the free family. Don't go be slaves. You're part of those whose sins are forgiven. Don't try to earn your salvation. You are those for whom Christ died. Do not ignore it or try to undo it. You belong to Jesus. First. And then second, the second conclusion, is that Paul says, remember how Ishmael hated Isaac? Remember how Ishmael was always persecuting Isaac and driving Isaac crazy and fighting with him and beating him up? Well, that also continues. Those who live according to the law will always persecute those who live according to the promise. Let me say that again. Those who live according to the law will always persecute those who live according to the promise so that the affliction that you feel, the affliction that comes against you, from the world and from your own flesh and from the devil itself is not a surprise to you. It's expected. And, Paul goes on to say, it's no trouble because the Lord is with us. And the freedom that we have in the gospel, the freedom from our sins, the freedom from God's condemnation, the freedom from worrying about death, the freedom to love God and to love our neighbor, in the gospel we also have freedom to suffer. To suffer the persecution of those who love the law. So Paul says, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but the free woman. And he continues, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Amen. First sermon. Second, John 6. Jesus is feeding 5,000. I told you. Jesus is feeding 5,000 men with even more women and children. And this miracle, that's interesting to note, aside from the miracle of the resurrection, is the only miracle that's included in all four of the Gospels. Now, here's the context. Jesus has learned of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. And it seems like he's trying to get away for a break. He's, he's trying to get into a deserted place, but the crowds won't leave him alone. And even though Jesus takes the boat to try to lose him, they trail and track him over the Jordan River, and they find him there up northeast of the Galilee in the wilderness. And Jesus looks at him, this huge, massive crowd. I mean, you imagine 5,000, maybe 10,000 people that are there, and there's nothing to give them to, to, to feed them or anything like this. And he looks at them with compassion, and he and he's going to take care of them. And what follows is really quite... It's almost like a re, It's like Jesus is reenacting the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters and so forth. So that Jesus looks at them, he sits them all down, he finds the disciples, find a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish, and he, and he raises it up and he breaks the bread and he gives thanks and he starts handing it out, and the people keep eating and eating and eating as much bread and as much fish as they want so to where finally they can't take any more, and that Jesus sends the disciples out with the doggy bags, you know, the, the, the take-home baskets, and there's 12 that are full. There's more food in the end than there was in the beginning. Now, I've heard various different explanations of this miracle. One, and the, perhaps the most blasphemous that I've heard, is that Jesus had a cave full of bread 
And he was standing in front of the cave and the disciples were there passing the bread out like this. And so he's, now what, I don't know, if you, I, I just don't understand people that say this sort of stuff. Like why are you even reading the Bible in the first place if you're going to read it like that? It's just foolish. But I was reading another commentary, and, and it said this. The, the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was that there was this little boy who had just enough for him to eat, and when the people saw the boy sharing their food, then they also were willing to share their own lunch so that everybody was sharing food with everybody else, and there was plenty for everyone. So the lesson is we should share. Now, it's true that we should share, but this whole line of, of looking at the scriptures and trying to figure out the kind of the naturalistic, just assuming that it wasn't a miracle that Jesus worked is troublesome to me. If God created the heavens and the earth, I mean, we've got to think of it this way, right? If God created the heavens and the earth, then the feeding of the 5,000 is really not that big of a deal. I mean, the Lord feeds billions of people every day through the miracle of this creation. But there's also, and I, I just, I mean, just for a little bit, want to reflect on this. That there's an arrogance that we are tempted to have in our own day that looks back on the people of the Bible and says, oh, they didn't know how things really happened. They didn't have the scientific understanding of the world, so they didn't realize that you couldn't feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread. Well, if they didn't know that you couldn't do that, then why were they so impressed by it? It's, a, it's the same sort of people who say, well, Mary and Joseph didn't know that a virgin can't conceive and bear a child. Well, if they didn't know, then why did Joseph want to divorce Mary? I mean, if, of course they knew that these things didn't happen. That's why they, they marveled at Jesus and said, here's the prophet who is to come into the world. Of course they knew these things were miracles. That's why they wrote them down. So let us not approach the text with that kind of arrogance, but be a bit humble. And realize that the text comes to us as simply a miracle of Jesus, but in two ways. It's this, and we'll make these two points. Number one, Jesus can feed the 5,000 in the wilderness. But here's maybe the more important point, that Jesus does feed the 5,000 in the wilderness. So that we not only know who Jesus is, that he is God in the flesh, but we know what Jesus does, that he takes care of us. Now, at this point, we just want to reflect that we have a temptation, at least, uh, I'll just speak for myself, that I have, a, I have a temptation, and I see it in myself every day, and it's this, that I want to divide my life into two distinct parts, the spiritual part and the physical part. The, and, and the division is like this, that Jesus takes care of the spiritual stuff, the forgiveness of sins part, the eternal life stuff, the getting to heaven stuff, and so forth. But it's up to me to take care of everything else the down here sort of stuff, the rest of life. Down here, it's works and effort and science and math and effort and, and, and sweat and all this sort of stuff. And what results is, again, I just, I'll just confess my own sins, what results is a sort of practical atheism that, I, I, that if you ask me if I believe in God, I, well, of course I believe in God, confess the creed. But I, but I act in my own life as if everything happened naturally. As if everything was just, as if God wasn't involved in the giving out of daily bread. As if that's all the, that, that's all science and, and seeds and sun and water and weather and everything else like this, and God is totally distant from it. That's not true. Now, it is true that the way that the Lord forgives our sins and the way that the Lord gives us daily bread are very different. Salvation comes down from heaven. Bread comes up from the earth, at least 
normally. But this text reminds us that that's not always the case. Sometimes it rains bread from heaven. Sometimes five loaves feed 5,000 people. And Jesus is Lord of heaven and of earth. He gives us what we need for the life to come, and He gives us what we need for this life. This is what we confess in the Catechism. Remember this? I believe that God has made me in all creatures, that He has given me my body and soul, my eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and He still takes care of them. In other words, the reason that my body moves and my mind thinks is because the Lord continues to let it do so. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger, guards and protects me from all evil. And this He does, this He does, only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. You see, it's not only the forgiveness of sins that comes to us by God's grace, but everything else as well. Everything else as well. It comes to us by God's grace. Without any merit or worthiness in me. That's Paul, Galatians 4. But that's Jesus, John 6. So that your life, I mean, you're actually being alive. Your breath, your heartbeat, your home, and your food, and your family, and your friends, and the sun coming up. All of these are gifts of God given to us, not because we've deserved them or earned them or somehow worked for them, but because He loves us. Because He loves you. So your Jesus forgives you your sins, and your Jesus gives you daily bread. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.